Welcome to the Campus Futures Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode 50, Cancel Culture and Bart Ehrman. Behold, a sore went forth to sow, bearing precious seed in his hand, hoping and hope that he might see it grow. Welcome, everybody, to the Campus Futures Podcast, a podcast designed to encourage and equip you on the work of evangelism on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, FLF Network. And if you head on over to flfnetwork.com, you'll learn more about what we have going on, which includes the first annual Fight, Laugh, Feast conference, October 1st through the 3rd in Nashville, Tennessee. And if you become a club member prior to September the 1st, you'll get $100 off of registration. So if you go to flfnetwork.com slash coming soon, uh, you will learn more about registration. You can go and learn more about registration and stuff like that. As well, um, we also have the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. So if you, not all of my podcasts are on there, but they're they're coming. Um, so if you go to uh, download the app, it's much easier maybe to organize all of the shows and everything else and listen to the particular ones that you want to. And that's just a way to help us uh, internally kind of develop the network quite a bit. So we have a handful of things going on, which is pretty exciting. And what I want to do today is a couple brief things, and then I'm going to, if if there's time, I'm going to start playing an interview that I had with a gentleman named Eddie Roman who works for Ray Comfort. Uh, I saw him at the G3 conference about a month ago, and I was able to sit down with him and do his podcast. I'm going to incorporate that into this one, uh, maybe this one, it might be next week, uh, because what I want to do on this particular episode is just kind of finish up um, the whole Bart Ehrman bit, and then what I want to do is I was having a discussion with a friend of mine over um, David French's uh, piece about how the religious right have a cancel culture, and I want to brush on a few things uh, regarding that because I just think it's an important discussion that we have to be prepared for, and it ties into other podcasts that I've done and all that sort of jazz. So hopefully this will all make sense. So before we get into all that, I just want to wrap up uh, the Bart Ehrman thing. So if you remember two weeks ago, I brushed on uh, the idea that there's empiricism and rationalism. You need those two little categories uh, and help you to think through how people are arguing. And then last week, I brushed on the idea of consciousness, uh, used Alex Rosenberg from Duke University on how he wanted to argue that consciousness was illusion, as well as Thomas Nagel, who's a professor at uh, NYU, and how he's basically kind of mystified at the idea of consciousness. And even Bart Ehrman seems to be a little bit. And it was reflecting upon consciousness that he began to um, maybe think, perhaps there are faculties that enable us to know greater beings than ourselves. And so if you take the might, um, they might know that we exist in some regard, but they don't really know what our capacities are. And so Bart Ehrman wants to extrapolate that we're a little bit maybe like the termite, and we don't know uh, these higher beings. Um, but where I think his argument really falls off the rails is in the final two paragraphs, because he has this revelatory moment about God, but he wants God to be maybe a little bit like the Greek gods, kind of a bigger being than us rather than the eternal God creator and sustainer of all things that Christianity maintains. And he says this, I'm obviously not urging a return to traditional religion. This insight decidedly does not justify anyone saying, see, I was right. My view of God is plausible. Um, Well, maybe not strictly on lines with his insight, but why isn't anyone justified in doing that? He has to make an argument on what the nature of reality is and why we can't know those things. And so that's either have to be an empirical argument or a rational argument. And I don't think he's going to be able to make that for various reasons, but he just kind of asserts that. And then he goes on to say, your view of God might be completely 
quote unquote, implausible or asterisk implausible. And based simply on what you heard from people living 2,000 or 3,000 years ago, who were generally far more ignorant of the world than we are, and were simply doing their best to figure it out. So my insight does not argue that there must be single Jewish or Muslim or Christian God or archangels or demons or whatever. For me, those are just mythological constructs that are trying to make sense of it all. So I'm not at all advocating we return to the religious constructions of previous centuries and millennia. I'm just saying that the possibility that there really might be orders of existence higher than I can imagine strikes me just now as completely plausible. Why not? Who says, quote unquote, I can figure it all out? If superior forms of intelligence and will do exist, I would literally have no way of knowing. And how many different forms, levels could there be? God knows, so to speak. Um, but when he makes the comment, if superior forms of intelligence and will do exist, I would literally have no way of knowing. How does he know that? How can he say that there is no way for him to know these higher and spirit beings, especially, as the Christian maintains, that if God made us to know him, this superior form of intelligence and this superior will has created us in a way to know him. It's simply, there's nothing irrational about that, and there's nothing... Uh, contrary to the idea of consciousness uh, and reason. You, there might be empirical arguments in, in a very narrow way against that, um, but I would just say that nothing that Bart Ehrman has presented, I think it's a good entry tool for us into discussions with Unbeliever, but there's nothing in his agnosticism uh, that would should in any way be convincing to the person who is looking to be philosophically rigorous and honest with the material. Um, so I just wanted to close that out and then kind of move on from Bart Ehrman. But uh, one of the things I wanted to brush on there, it's kind of funny. Uh, so I have a pretty good buddy of mine here in California, and we were uh, talking the other day, and one of his favorite people is David French. And one of the people, every time I read something by him, it just kind of rubs me the wrong way, is actually David French. Um, but he made reference to this piece that David French wrote called the church's real political correctness problem and if you read it there are plenty of things in there that i agree with um i definitely think that there can be a conservative authoritarianism and grouchiness that often mimics uh the, the what i would see like the cancel culture on the left and so so i don't disagree with everything in here um by any stretch of the imagination i think he has a handful of good insights and earlier back in september i believe it was i did a podcast on uh thought-terminating cliches, um, because I think it's pretty prevalent, um, especially uh, on the far left, far right, where you just kind of throw out terms and you hope to kind of either bully your opponent or at least signal to your own crowd um, that you're on the end and you kind of end all conversation at that point. Um, and so the left's sort of, you know, thought-terminating cliches is, well, you're a white male, that's bourgeois, um, you're just saying that because you're rich or whatever it may be. Um, they kind of have some of their cliches and it kind of terminates uh, your bigot, racist, sexist, homophobe. Uh, but similarly, I would say that some of the things that he points out here, just calling somebody woke, uh, just say that somebody's virtue signaling, uh, that they're pearl clutching, that they're a snowflake. I do think that people uh, do do those things and oftentimes it's not beneficial to uh, general discourse, but that, you know, I'm, but I'm also not one of those people who negate all name calling. I don't think all of it's wholly inappropriate as we see it in the life of Jesus, the apostles, and all down throughout the Bible. But what I'd also like to say, though, is that David French is as prone to uh, kind of having cachets, even if they're in the broader swath in our pluralistic society, more acceptable. He's always going to appeal to nuance and uncertainty. Um, and even the way that he talks about uh, the left uh, and the right is uh, kind of authoritarian, um, sneering, and uh, 
what was the other term? Performance anger, performance masculinity. And all that stuff is like, if you just listen to anybody who kind of sits in the middle, who, uh, and I would just say even slightly on the left, anytime they offer a criticism of somebody, it, it's kind of loaded with that sort of baggage and that language. And so the reality of it is, is this. Um, if you want to cancel cancel culture, are you creating a new cancel culture? Uh, it just kind of becomes silly at some point, some of these debates, because the reality of it is, uh, and what postmodernism I think has maybe helped more people do uh, in a frustrating sort of way is a, kind of a constant stream of kind of like maybe like moral equivalence, whataboutism. Uh, so finding, you know, you listen to any debate, even for example, Bernie Sanders, I was watching the Democratic debate earlier and Bernie Sanders uh, praising um, Fidel Castro. So what's the response is, oh, well, Barack Obama was doing it and we didn't hear anybody complain when Barack Obama was doing it. Well, let's Let's deal with the content of what you're saying and not necessarily worry about Barack Obama or what somebody else is doing. But what you're able, able to kind of do oftentimes is because a lot of these discussions are binary. So you take the American left and you take political correctness and you take cancel culture. Um, in some regard, you have a binary between cancel culture and non-cancel culture. Um, but you can, you know, if you want to privilege the cancel culture term um, and, or put that in a position of uh, power and say, well, oh, see, they're trying to cancel everybody. Well, then on turn, the, the culture that is not cancel culture, as they push back, want to fight back, if they get uh, higher ground, then you can just say, oh, well, they've become a cancel culture. Uh, so the reality of it is, I've, I just think in many ways, the way that David French is framing the discussion it's an inescapable part. So, for example, in his pluralism, um, he doesn't want a theocracy to exist. And so, um, you know, he's a pluralist and he doesn't really want theocracy. So given that, um, you know, he's going to want to cancel theocracy and theocrats in some regard, even if it's not complete, even if it's not total, um, he's going to want to do that. And one of the things and some of the other things that he ends up doing here, which is also mildly frustrating to me, is he brings in Karen Swallow Pryor. Now, I'm gonna have to plead ignorance on all of her background and what the hub of blue was over her. I saw stuff on Twitter, um, but to be honest with you, I don't spend tons of time uh, honed in on a lot of these debates. I just don't have time, don't have the resources, nor the bandwidth, and uh, there's probably a certain element like I don't care. Like I spend my day debating people. Um, I don't necessarily care about getting debates on the internet. But with that said, I do know that some of the issues surrounding Karen Swallow Pryor are not listed uh, by David French in this. And so if you're looking for nuance, if you're a man who's standing there and saying, oh, there's no nuance on the right, there's no nuance on the left, and you're going to write an article critiquing people for not being nu uh, nuanced, you better capture nuance yourself in your criticism of others. So the issue surrounding Karen Prowl uh, Swallow Prior, at least in part, deals with her um, uh, affirmation of the Revoice Conference. And so we're not looking at a situation where someone's going into a secular university, if we want to grant that that's pluralistic, or that we're looking at a debate in a public square, we're looking at somebody who's going to a seminary to train pastors and ministers and everything else, and so their beliefs are confessionally, are uh, doctrinally, and all those sorts of things vitally important. So again, I don't know all of the uh, debate surrounding Karen Swallow Pryor, and maybe she, she describes having pain and trauma uh, because of the trolling lies, misrepresentations I have endured um, uh, by a few in and adjacent to the SBC. I don't know what her, all of her experiences are, uh, but I do know at, in a very broad way, um, even though David paints a picture that she's you know, affirm, uh, clear on biblical sexual ethics and that she's clear on abortion, um, I know that some people have questions on her with that backdrop. And so not to present that, I would just say is not a very nuanced uh, description of the picture. 
And then also a little bit later on in uh, the discussion, he brings up uh, um, John MacArthur and his Beth Moore go home. And uh, what he ends up saying here is this. He goes, the, the politically correct right-winger must be aggressive. Preferably, he's sneering. Always, he's insulting. And he will almost never credit any idea that comes from the left. Here's an example of the phenomena in action from last fall. Listen to prominent pastor John MacArthur and his fellow panelists dismiss, mock, and sneer at popular Christian author and speaker Beth Moore. In response to a word association game, he suggests she go home. Another panelist calls her narcissistic. Uh, they then condemn the Me Too movement as the culture reclaiming ground in the church. If you listen to the entire segment, you'll hear the panelists briefly touch on a multiple hot button topics, but it's much more a Hannity segment than a thoughtful theological discussion. If conservatives heard secular university panelists adopt the mirror image positions, declaring that MacArthur should go home, reflexively dismissing any cultural movements from the right, and mocking rather than substantively addressing contrary positions, they'd think, this is exactly what they're like. Go home is cancel culture in action, and look how they mock our most serious ideas. Now, again, I, I don't really... You know, I got several videos critiquing MacArthur. I got in trouble the other day for on the World Wide Web for critiquing MacArthur. So I'm not out here to defend John MacArthur. Uh, but the context of John MacArthur and these people are whether or not Beth Moore, who's taking or at least appearing to take on more and more responsibility of publicly preaching in some regard. And so the go-home comment, agree or disagree with it, has to be set in the context of women sh should women be pastors. And John MacArthur at all, they don't believe she should. Maybe some people do. Maybe David French, who I believe is in the PCA, thinks they should, but this isn't a one-off issue. This deals with what does the Bible say? And so this ties into the idea that the church itself is not a pluralist community where we just sit around and bant around ideas. And that's gonna be the difference between say a secular university that says we're open to all ideas and we're an open forum and stuff like that. That's the radical difference of what's going on with the cancel culture who in one breath says they're tolerant, says they're open to other people. And what they're looking to do is for the slightest infraction to eradicate and cancel anybody. So you take Kevin Hart, who you know a decade ago, readily acceptable making a gay joke, and now he can't host the Oscars because a decade ago, he made a joke that they find unacceptable, so they need to cancel him. The idea that a church is confessional, and the idea that a church does not believe that women should be pastors, and so in that context, they are quote-unquote canceling a woman preacher, um, that's what you should expect from a confessional church that holds to uh, their standards and held to those norms. So if you don't believe women should be pastors, now you can you know, disagree, say that he was mean while he was doing it and blah, 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 blah. But again, he doesn't bring in the context that what they're addressing here is whether or not a woman should be a preacher in a church. Their answer is no. David can disagree with them. I'm assuming in the, since he's in the PCA, he doesn't even believe they should be elders, etc. So I can't imagine that he's uh, uh, that. So if John MacArthur um, and these men, if they were watching a panel discussion of the Mormon church and somebody who is Trinitarian um, wanting to teach in the Mormon church and the Mormon church excommunicates them and they say, you know, Keith, Darrell, go home. Um, no one's going to see that as a mirror image of what's taking place with cancel culture. And so if Muslims, if I stand up and say, Jesus is God, and they kick me out of the mosque, no one's gonna see that as a mirror, mirror image of cancel culture. And so the context in which he's seeking to address these things, the church is not a pluralist community. So if I grant what David French wants, he wants a pluralist world, a pluralist culture, and a pluralist civil government, uh, the church is not that. The church is a theocracy. Uh, the church has one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We're to contend for the faith once and for all handed down to the saints. And so while within that, we want to always be reforming 
and we do have some regard of looking to mature and sanctify and grow and all that sort of stuff. It's not in the same way that we're doing in a quote unquote open society. And so that's my main gripe. He, he gets on some things right. I do hate thought terminating cliches. I hate when I hear people just dismiss somebody as a cultural Marxist. That's not really an argument. Um, and so, you know, I always see these tweets that Al Mohler is uh, a cultural Marxist. Maybe he is, but that doesn't eradicate what he's arguing. And so just to claim that and hope that it's the best. And so, yeah, I think the ad homs and those sorts of things. So I think he has a lot kind of close to being right here. I just think he is not nuanced enough for a man who wants nuance, um, nor is he setting it in its proper context of why they're saying what they're saying. And so when Paul opposed uh, Peter and said he was condemned, you know, is that cancel culture? Is that a mirror image of the Pharisees and blah, blah, blah? Um, if you want to play that game, because all you got to do is set the binary and just say, oh, well, this, this position is now privileged and you can get there. Um, but I don't think there's anything inherent or necessary uh, to it. So, you know what? Uh, th this is going... Uh, a little longer than I planned, so I'm not going to get into uh, the uh, interview. I'll get into some of that next week. Hopefully some recordings, as I keep saying I'm going to have. Uh, oh, and that's a total side. If you think about it, pray for me. These campuses are getting violent. I mentioned last week getting decked, and I haven't been punched again, but I mean, I'm, I'm getting close. And uh, even last week I was preaching on campus, and uh, the police escorted me back through the library into the police car, and they drove me to my car uh, for, for my safety. So... Um, and I don't think I'm doing anything too crazy. I've, I've, I've really spent a good morning. A buddy of mine texts me. He was just like, man, just spend more time. Brad. I was like, we haven't been together. I was like, brother, uh, when we get together, you got to let me know if I'm preaching too hard or something because these students are crazy. And he's like, just spend your morning praying about it. So I spent my morning praying about it. The main thing I've offered up my self-criticism in so much as I can hear myself is uh, when I start the day, um, I have about 10 minutes you know, to build a crowd during the changeover. And if I don't build a crowd, then you sit there for an hour until the next changeover. Um, but as I've listened to myself and tried to listen to myself and hear what I'm doing and saying, my biggest criticism is that I've allowed myself to maybe stay in crowd building mold mode, which is maybe a little bit more um, confrontational than usually once the crowd get gets anchored. And once the crowd get, gets anchored, um, then you kind of transition a bit more into apologetics. And I've also noticed I've been a bit more presuppositional in my apologetic, which always leads to more confrontation rather than me being on a defensive posture explaining my position, um, which is in many, but, and I'm, I'm fine doing that because I think it's far more fruitful and people actually hear me more than when I'm just merely attacking their position and seeking to do a reductio uh, on their position. So um, those are, you know, if you think of praying for me, you can pray for safety, wisdom, in preaching and uh yeah so if you have any questions comments demands rebukes exhortations you can find me campus preacher on uh, instagram campus evangel on the twitter keith Darrell on the facebook and uh, the lord bless you keep you we'll talk to you next week precious seed in his hand hoping and hope that he might see it grow knowing that the harvest might well come before the bloom he runs on his way, there's no time to be going.